Hey everybody, welcome back to the Double Down WNBA Podcast. Eric Nemchak here alongside my co-host Stephen Trinkwald. Stephen, we are rolling right along with our 2022 team outlooks. Uh, we will get all these done um, in time, I promise you. <laughs> we'll ensure that. Uh, we're talking about the Las Vegas Aces this time. The Las Vegas Aces, they were 24-8 and eight last regular season. They were the number two seed in the playoffs. I have number one seed in my notes here, but that's not correct. They were number two in net rating at 11.1. They were the number one offense in the league, 107.1 offensive rating, just a juggernaut offense, truly. The next highest offense was 104.3, so almost three full points per 100 possessions better than the second best offense in the league. And they were second in defense at 96 points per 100 possessions. They had the double buy to start the playoffs, the uh, uh, since-abandoned double buy. They were, of course, upset by the Phoenix Mercury on their home court in what I think, Eric, was you know just an all-time playoff series, like one of the great playoff series in, in recent Really, memory. really good series, yeah. Um, and, you know, just worth noting that the last time the WNBA had a team post a regular season net rating over 10 and not make the finals was 2001. And this past season, we had two teams in Connecticut and Vegas, both have just monster regular seasons and then kind of come up short in their one and only playoff series. So where do you want to get started with these folks? Yeah, you, you mentioned those those statistics alone kind of put into context just how good this Vegas Aces team was. I don't want to say that the season was a disappointment for them, but the regular season, I mean, they came into the season with tremendous expectations, right? And during the regular season, they largely fulfilled those expectations. They were really, really good on both ends of the court, and they played to a very specific formula for their success. That I think when you look back on it, you know, this Aces, I don't know if you want to say this Aces uh, dynasty because, you know, they didn't win a championship, but several years now in a row, the Aces have been right near the top of the standings, and they've all been, they've always been really, really good at a select few things. Yes, they, I think more than any other team in the league perhaps have kind of a a year-over-year identity. You know, the 2021 Connecticut Sun had an identity that was much different than the 2019 Sun that made the finals team. You know, two two very good teams, but completely different. And, you know, the Aces, they've pretty much been who they were, you know, from essentially 2019, uh, Asia Wilson's second season, the first with Cambage, to now. That includes number one in free throw rate, on both ends, they absolutely just control the free throw line, uh, get there the most, uh, allow the least. They never turn it over. They never force any turnovers. They're always good. Defensive rebounding. I mean, I guess the other real staple of their kind of identity that, that people think about is always allowing you know the highest proportion of three-point attempts and then taking the lowest proportion of three-point attempts by just a staggering amount. You know, 16% three-point attempt rate last year when the next lowest team was 22%. So to put into context, like the difference between them and the number 11 team in three-point attempt rate was greater than the difference between 11 and number six. Like they they were just playing a different game in a lot of ways. Um, and of course, you know, packing the paint, allowing the far in a way of the lowest proportion of shots within five feet. So that's kind of like the aces that you've come to know and love over the past few years, right? Of course, coached by Bill Lambeer, um, who I think has gotten... Maybe a little bit of a, a bad rap in recent seasons, uh, relative to at least the Aces team success. Um, obviously, you know they don't they didn't shoot many threes, which is you know fair. That's that's a fact. But they were so good at free throw at both getting to the line and keeping their opponents on the line, never turning it over, as you said, rebounding the heck out of the basketball. 
Like, you, you can live with not shooting that many threes if you're going to control all the other facets of the game like that, right? I mean, I guess, like, the, the question is, like, fundamentally, is that recipe something that, that's going to generate a ton of regular season success that, that isn't going to translate to the playoffs? It could be. I mean, we saw the same sort of, I don't want to say the exact same thing, but, I mean, along those same lines, Connecticut last season, terrific regular season team, and just kind of burned out. They just didn't have enough offense um, in the playoffs there against this guy. But I think the Aces are a little bit different than that because they at least – they did have a really good offense. You know, I mean, you, you pointed to it, the first highest defensive rating in the league by a, a healthy margin. And I think a lot of what the Aces were good at last season, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to say it came down to bad luck against the Mercury, but that, that game five really could have gone either way. Um, as as you like to say, you know, how would things be looking this season if Cambage didn't get blocked by Diana Tarazi at the end of game five, right? If Cambage makes that shot and, and the Aces end up winning the series and maybe they win the finals and who knows what the team looks like this year. Anything to add to that? No, not really. I mean, I think they, they just ran into kind of like a buzzsaw of Brittany Griner just playing absolutely the best basketball uh, of an individual player of last anybody. season. I guess like the, the one other thing that really kind of jumped out to me just in terms of like how this team built success and maybe just another thing that, that might not translate into the playoffs as much as as opponents' rotations are, are being shorter and, and you're just, you know, playing against better teams is this team over the regular season, just like they were such a machine in how they, like how much their bench units pummeled other teams' bench lineups. Like they're, they, for 40 minutes, they were just, they had more talent on the court usually than their, their opponents. And, you know, we give Bill Lambeer, you know, a hard time for not starting his best players. But, you know, this team, most of the time, they just had better players on the floor for all 40 minutes. Like Kelsey Plum, Missed some time, but otherwise this team spent like almost no time at all without one of Kelsey Plum or Chelsea Gray on the court, which of course makes sense because they they have very, you know, you want um, a point guard who can initiate offense for, yeah, 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 exactly. They spent almost no time with Wilson and Hamby and Cambage all on the bench, like. You, you juxtapose how Bill handled his rotation and how well he was able to stagger his high-end players with, you know, the the New York Liberty, who are obviously just a much worse team overall. But, like, they were constantly running out lineups with Benajah Laney and Sabrina Unescu both on the bench and just having no, no theory of how a, a lineup like this could sustain over the next four to five minutes that they were going to be out there and getting destroyed in, in those minutes. And... Bill, to his credit, I think, there was always a way for them to kind of generate offense and, and continue to defend. So, What I'd like to add on to that, taking that one step further, I think that just speaks to how good Kelsey Plum was last season. She definitely deserved that Sixth Woman of the Year award and just, like you said, just driving efficient offense from the second unit. Um, she wasn't, it's not like she was a one-player show out there, but there were, she wasn't uncomfortable taking over a game either. Um, I think it's, maybe it's a little easier to, um, stagger your lineups like that when you just have so many starting level players. But yeah, you're, you're, you're definitely right on that. Um, Lambert did a good job of staggering and, and ensuring, as you said, he had at least a handful of, of players who, you know, were winning their individual matchups, if I could put it that way, at any given time out on the court. I don't think the aces were a very deep team, but it doesn't really matter when you do that with your lineups, right? Yeah, I, I think they were like a, a fairly deep team. I mean, I, I guess, you know, now now you have me kind of thinking maybe they're not because they really only lost one player and, and I think that they're a very shallow team. So maybe it was just kind of how they 
they staggered everyone. Um, well, but well, I guess I guess my point is like the the one player or <laughs> Kelsey Plum, and then you can talk about Derek Hamby as well, of course, who they're bringing off the bench. Like if you have two really really good bench players like that, you don't need to go twelve deep, right? Yeah, for sure. That that's a great point. Um, should we talk more about Plum? Uh, I mean, obviously, there's like more high profile players to to kind of get into, but since you had brought her up fairly easily, I think the best season of her career. She was, you know, a little bit more efficient back in 2018, but on 15% usage, and she was at a career high 25% usage last year. 58% true shooting, 38% from three on over six threes per 36 minutes. So yeah, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, especially for this team, you know, uh, it. it Three-point volume is, is not always easy to come by. And then 47% from two. Like, that's a very good number for a WNBA guard on almost 10 twos per game. So, you know, we're talking about Lasia Clarendon, Kalea Copper, Kelsey Mitchell, Skylar Diggins-Smith. Like, those were the guards who were, like, meaningfully better two-point scorers last year. Not a very long list. She got to the free throw line a, a pretty good amount for her role and for a guard. Again, not a lot of players when you're just talking about point guards. It was like uh, Skylar Diggins-Smith, Jordan Canada, Taya Cooper. When you're talking about point guards ahead of her and free throw attempt rate. So, you know, she was a very, very balanced scoring season as well as able to distribute on a, on a high-end level, I think. The distributing is, I think that's where it comes into play. Like, she doesn't put up, like, massive assist numbers, but just the fact that that's in her bag. You know, she can, she can either score it or dish it, both at an above-average level. And that's really key to have from a bench guard, especially when you consider like this Aces team just they just they just came in waves, you know. Like if Chelsea Gray hit the bench, then Kelsey Plum came in, and like it's not like there was a ton of of drop off there. Um, I think she fit really well with the rest of the roster. You know, it's not like like I said, she wasn't coming in to the game off the bench and, and doing everything herself. But uh, yeah, I mean her play driving that second unit, driving that the efficiency of that second unit, and then her ability to play off the basketball as well. Just a really balanced and really good offensive player to be honest yeah and one that we can say this about a lot of their players i think but very instrumental in kind of driving their really great transition offense as well absolutely yeah so yeah it was it was a great season from plum like you you said um the awards were certainly well deserved should we talk about asia wilson's season yeah let's talk about asia wilson obviously uh you can't really mention the aces without asia wilson their franchise player um how do you assess Asia's season? Because she obviously, you know, tremendous player. Were you a little disappointed? Or I what? mean, I think, you know, statistically there's room to be disappointed. You know, we both had her third in our top 10 players rankings when we did that a few months ago. Mm-hmm. If we were redoing that show today, I think she might be a spot or two lower. She just kind of maybe gotten outplayed by a couple players since then. And it's worth noting that despite her her huge increase in free throw percentage by almost 10 points she finished out the season a career low 53 percent true shooting and she's never been like elite efficiency when we're talking about kind of like star bigs you know even her career best would be career lows for Stewart, jj sylvia Fowles, Brittany griner elena deladon like all the other kind of elite offensive bigs like she's more kind of in like the tina charles neighborhood of efficiency the Natasha Howard as your best big neighborhood of efficiency. But to even kind of take a little bit more of a step back last season, just just in that regard, you know, career low in two-point shooting, career low in free throw attempt rate. I mean, she was only in the 40th percentile in effective field goal percentage. So it's when you just kind of take like the, the overview of her season, it wasn't kind of the same player that we saw in the bubble. What do you attribute that dip in two-point shooting to? A lot of jumpers, I would say, for really the the second straight season, like she was not a very good jump shooter. 
29% shooting on non-paint twos in 2021, 30% of her shots coming from this massively inefficient zone for her. So, you know, that that's just not good enough. Like you're, you're not going to, and I, I understand that maybe she, especially with like the roster construction and maybe the offensive scheme, you know, there, some of those shots are going to come, but she's also kind of hunting out those, those long two point jumpers. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And that's, I don't want to say that, I don't want to say that's kind of always been her game, but um, it's definitely always been a big part of her game. And I'm trying to think of, of why that might be, but yeah, it is, the statistics definitely bear it out. Yeah, she she just needs to cut that out of her cut at least a a significant portion out of those out of her shot diet. I understand that you know maybe if Cambe if you got her playing next to Liz Cambage, they're not obviously both going to be playing at the rim, so you got to have somebody out there, and you'd probably rather have Cambage at the rim than, than Wilson at the rim, but. It's either, you know, she, she takes a step back on a few more of those and starts shooting three-pointers, or she just stops shooting as many long twos. I do think you're going to see, like, a, a smaller proportion of those long twos from her this season, both because they theoretically now have a head coach who believes in, like, stretch fours or whatever you want to say, shooting more three-pointers, and also you're not going to have Liz Cambage there anymore, so... Yeah, but maybe you're gonna have Kia Stokes instead. Like things yeah, are not true. opened up for Asia Wilson. You no, know? it's not like I don't want to. I don't want to say like, oh yeah, Kia Stokes is gonna be drawing people away beyond the three point line. But I mean, they're certainly not gonna be paying as much attention. Like, you're not gonna have two players occupying the same space on the floor. And I, I don't know how that's gonna work. But I just think it's gonna be a better individual offensive environment for Asia. Although last time. I remember we said uh, she doesn't like the statistics don't bear out that she plays better without Cambage. So I don't know. That, that could just be a, a fallacy. Well, I think her individual statistics might bear out that she has better numbers. I, I think the, the team took a little dip when she's playing without Cambage. Okay. Yeah, sure. And that's completely understandable. I mean, you have one elite big versus two elite bigs. Like, yeah. But I, I think, you know, the surprising thing, to me is that aside from just kind of the overall poor shooting numbers, how much she had like struggled in pick and pop, you think that would be like a really strong part of her game. Yeah. Um, or even just pick and roll in general. I shouldn't even say pick and pop. Yeah. She, she did go 10 for 35 in pick and pop jumpers. That's not very good, but she also only shot 43% rolling to the basket, which, you know, when you're just looking at some of the great bigs in the league, that that's definitely going to be lower on the list. And this, kind of held steady from last season, you know, 16 for 45 on pick and pop jumpers in 2020 and at least was efficient as a roller the the previous season. But, you know, that element of her game, you, you would think kind of like intuitively that she would be, you know, she likes those kind of long range jumpers, but it's something that hasn't quite materialized yet. You know, Steven, this, this makes me think right now of just how, just how good of a mid-range jump shooter you need to be in order to have that shot be an acceptable shot. You know, particularly for big, you think of, you know, who are the great mid-range shooting bigs in previous seasons? You know, like Candice Dupree. Latoya Sanders. Latoya Sanders, right. And I would think anecdotally, I would say, yeah, Asia Wilson is a pretty good, has a pretty good jump shot for a big, a pretty good mid-range jump shot. But if you look at the stats, I mean, that's still not a good shot for this team. Which, I mean, that, that, and that's, that and that's one thing I wanted to at least put out there. But also... The pick and roll inefficiency, yeah, that really surprised me when I saw that. You know, I know the Aces, they're not, they haven't been under Bill Lambier like a, a huge pick and roll team. They've leaned very heavily on post ups, and that's all fine and good. But with, with Wilson, her player archetype, you think of her as like this elite athlete, particularly for a, a four or five player who specializes, you know, her, her, her main strength is her athleticism, her speed. You know, she's going to get around just about any other big who, who's guarding her from like 
15 to 18 feet out. She's been, like, the strongest part of her game is her face-up game, right? So you would think that if you get her the ball rolling to the hoop, she'd be really, really good at finishing there. But, I mean, I guess not. Yeah, it's more kind of the face-up, jab-step type of a face-up game. Facing up after kind of catching the ball on the block, right? That's really kind of where yeah, she... sizing up her defender. Exactly. And and I think the numbers bear that out. You know, the left block face-up, that that's kind of what I consider like her sweet spot. When I think of Asia Wilson kind of going to work, you know, it's, it's facing up from that left block. And that is sort of her unstoppable... You know, if you just go by the numbers, right? That's kind of where she's at her best on like a point, a points per play basis, I should say. Easily the most efficient she was as a post scorer, where, you know, as a post scorer, she had, I would say, decent efficiency, pretty good efficiency. But of the eight players over 100 post up scoring attempts last season, you know, she was eighth out of eight. Her and McCowan were the only ones that finished below one point per possession. So definitely notable that even kind of, you know, back to the basket, uh, it was a little bit of a down season as well. And I, I think in a, a better ecosystem that could change, but I I don't think swapping out Liz Cambage, you know, Liz Cambage was not the problem of that ecosystem, I guess I would say. I agree. I agree. And and we can we can uh, think about, we can waffle around like what the, what the problem with that ecosystem was when we talk about how the aces are going to look this season. But yeah, you know, I think, well, again, post-ups, typically not a super effective play type, I would say. Um, like, there's a reason why teams just aren't posting up as much. But, in, but you typically for, for the very best bigs, it is a pretty efficient play. Right, for you the know, very for, best bigs. For Fowles and Cambage and, and BG and even like, you know, Bree Jones, that, that's kind of what she's good at. It is a pretty, you know, that's over a point per possession. Yes, well, what I was going to say was Asia's not that type of player. I think she still is an elite big. It's just her game is different. You know, she excels in different things. And maybe that's something to consider when you talk about bringing in a new head coach, an all-new coaching staff, thinking about, okay, what what was the cap on, on these previous teams? You know, could they have won the championship? Yeah, definitely. But if you're if you're trying these same things over and over on offense and they just consistently aren't producing the same kind of results as other teams are, you got to look at why. So maybe this might be kind of a question for the future, but do you think, Wilson, they're going to continue – force-feeding Wilson in the post, or are they going to kind of get away from that? Yeah, we, maybe we, we'll get this to that in a little bit. Okay, we'll get to that later, yeah. Um, I did want to kind of talk a, a little bit more about kind of what she was really great at last year. A great transition bag, right? Obviously, you know, one of the best in the league in terms of her open floor athleticism, her finishing in the open court. She'll give you pretty decent volume in there. Great finishing uh, as cuts, you know, for, for a play type, which could be actual cutting to the hoop. It could be finishing from the dunker spot, you know, getting herself to the front of the rim when Cambage was doubled. She was second in total cut possessions behind Bree Turner, which I think is no coincidence. Uh, oh, Turner played, Two great low post bigs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Turner playing with another big, seeing a ton of double teams and just kind of getting herself to the front of the rim. So I think you could maybe be concerned that this specific massively efficient play type might evaporate with no more Cambage. But, you know, still, I, I think perhaps a different philosophy will, will kind of open up some of the other things that, that she's good at, you know, getting out in transition, facing up more from the low block. How about um, playing her more at the five? Yeah, definitely something I want to see. But I, I think we'll, maybe we'll get into this with like the, the draft pick that they have coming up. But they really only have one option there right now, and it's Dierka Hamby, you know? Yeah, it's 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 interesting for sure to see. Because it does seem, like I said, there it does seem like there's almost like a cap on this team's ceiling. Um, but they've had the same coaching staff for, for many years now, and they've got new, new brains in there. So uh, we'll see if they change things up. All right. One other player I just wanted to kind of talk to you before we shift gears into this upcoming season. What did you think about the season of Chelsea Gray? You know, I think when you talk about Chelsea Gray, there's this consensus that 
she is this you know elite point guard and 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 let me preface this by saying she's an amazing player she's an amazing passer no doubt about it but um you had some concerns about gray when she first came to vegas and i think we're seeing a lot of those concerns kind of play out she obviously has a very interesting build a build that can be very advantageous for a player at her position but it's not that build isn't really giving her the physical advantages that you would expect um, I guess is her build, as you're saying, is her physical size combined with her playing style, is that negated by playing with another point guard? I mean, that's that's a very good point, and it very well could be. Or negated by having your two best players sitting at the rim the whole game. And I guess the kind of thought behind that question is, like, if you if you have a player like Chelsea Gray who is wing-sized and, you know, typically defends wings and stuff like that, is she you, a wing? <laughs> you're creating an advantage by playing her alongside other wings. If, if you play her next to a point guard and you give the opposing point guard someone else to guard, then, you know, she is just kind of your your run-of-the-mill standard wing. That That's an excellent passer for her position. I mean, just like to touch on kind of what you had alluded to, you know, the concerns about Chelsea Gray coming in to this season, just extremely reliant on non-paint twos. Half of her two-pointers came outside of the paint again this season. 45% shooting on those. So that's that's pretty good. You know, you were talking yeah, about good, yeah. what's the number you kind of have to get to on long two shooting. You know, it's, it's about that, 45% or higher ideally. But you can live with that, I think. A career low, again, on free throw attempt rate. She took 36 free throw attempts all season. That's that's like 5% of her shooting possessions. Were, on a team that specializes in shooting free throws. Yeah, exactly. I guess it's like one of those things where I'm just like looking kind of player after player like, oh, she didn't really have that great of a season for her standards. Oh, Chelsea Gray didn't really have that great of a season. And yet they were just like this amazing juggernaut who put teams away by uh, 11 points per 100 possessions game in and game out. Um, but I don't know. I think part of me is just kind of like over Chelsea Gray's game a little bit because she's so reliant on the... You, you look at kind of her game and what she should be able to do in theory, which is just bully her way to the rim, create a ton of added value by kind of sucking in the defense, by getting deep paint penetration. And instead, it's it's a ton of great passing from the perimeter a lot of times and, you know, taking really, really tough two-point jumpers. I mean, she's definitely not like the, the, the typical driving kick point guard, you know? And I'm wondering, like, this this may sound kind of like a, a Debbie Downer attitude, but I'm, I'm just wondering if... You know, those those knee injuries that she'd suffered in the past have just kind of taken their toll. I mean, she has been healthy in, in over the past few seasons, just thank goodness for that. But um, the explosion just doesn't look like it's there anymore, does it? Yeah, I agree with you. And to her credit, um, she had a really, really good playoffs. Like, she was oh, yeah. one of the few players on this team who I think had a really great series against Phoenix, her and Kelsey Plum, you know, the, the two guards, I guess, who are kind of creating offense out there. She was great. And the offense just absolutely fell off a cliff whenever she sat. So to her really, really good player. Don't get us wrong. We're, we're kind of overanalyzing things maybe. All right. Should we move on to 2022? Yep. Not really an exciting off season for the aces. I mean, they did of course hire Becky Hammond as their new head coach, but uh, for the roster, not much going on here. Yeah, kind of um, addition by subtraction, I think, are is the hopes, at least, for Aces fans. And so they, of course, didn't really bring in anybody outside of training camp contracts, who we'll get to. But their big arrival, like you say, Becky Hammond, their new head coach, they, of course, lost Liz Cambage. They lost Angel McCautry, who, of course, unfortunately, was not able to play last season. They recently waived Destiny Slocum, and they uh, said goodbye to their head coach, Bill Lambeer. So I don't know. What do you think? Okay, this is one thing I want to put out there. I don't want to make it seem like I hate, I'm a hater, but it seems like their best competition got better 
or at least made moves in an attempt to get better, while the Aces didn't really do much with their roster. Yeah, I don't really know how much the other contenders did get better. Chicago, I think, definitely got better on paper, for sure. You know, Phoenix, we, we've obviously been avoiding kind of talking about them for obvious reasons. Yeah, There's, you know, the elephant in the room is they very well may not be better this uh, offseason with the unfortunate situation with Bernie Griner. Connecticut is different, right? I don't, I'm not 100% sure they'll be better than they were last season as the number one team in the league, both from a record standpoint and a net rating standpoint. But we talked about in their episode, maybe added some some variation to their outcomes, maybe with, with playoff success. Seattle, I don't know. Did, did they get better? We oh, both, that's true. Yeah, Seattle might have gotten worse. That's a good point. We both like the January signing. We're both pretty down on you know, almost everything else. They've done. Everything else they did, yeah. Uh, Minnesota brought in Angel after her, you know, second ACL tear in three years in her 30s, and and maybe missing Nafisa Collier. So that's kind of like the top half of the playoff structure from last season. So yeah, I, I'm not sure how many pl- how many other teams necessarily got better outside of Chicago. And on its face, I can kind of understand the decision to move on from Cambage, even if I don't agree with it. Like I think you run that Phoenix Aces series a hundred times, and Vegas wins probably a pretty decent amount of those times. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was anything structurally wrong or um, fundamentally like incompatible between Liz Cambage and, and Asia Wilson. But, you know, the big problem with moving on from Liz Cambage is like it, it wasn't supplemented by players who fit their star player any better. Like it was filled seemingly and maybe things can still change or maybe this is just kind of a gap year, but filled with worse players who fit worse. Yeah. Yeah. Harsh, but fair. I agree. I mean, well, let's, let's, let's think about it this way. If there was a reason why the Cambage and Wilson pairing didn't work, it was probably because they were somewhat redundant in what they did offensively when they shared the court together, right? So ideally, you need some kind of stretch big to put next to Asia, right? And they didn't really get one. Granted, stre- effective stretch bigs do not exactly grow on trees, at least in the WNBA, at least not yet. But yeah, I mean, I, the whole addition by subtraction thing, Right now, I'm just seeing subtraction by subtraction. I mean, Kia Stokes did take... Oh, that's right. She's supposed two, to be a three-point shooter now. Two, three one season year. in New York, yeah. They're high-end players. This team has has three very, very high-level players in Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray, and Kelsey Plum. I think maybe Gray's reputation might exceed her actual effectiveness at this point, but she was still very good in, in the playoffs, Definitely, as we were talking about. Outside of those players, they have two fairly high-level starters, and Dierica Hamby and Raquana Williams. Um, you know, personal issues aside for Williams, she was terrific last season on both ends of the ball. They have one very good regular season player outside of that in Jackie Young. They have Kia Stokes, who is kind of like a, you know, a defensive specialist, I guess. And that's kind of like what we know about their rotation. They have... What, what, they, seven, just didn't add, they just didn't add anybody. They, they truly did not add anybody outside of a couple draft picks coming up the day that this will be released and a, f- a handful of training camp contracts, and maybe they will also bring in their first-round pick last year, uh, Ileana Rupert. So that's a few pretty good players, but, you know, that's five playoff players, two, you know, innings eaters. Uh, oh, Jackie Young is a real value-added regular season player. Kia Stokes more of kind of the innings eater, I was saying, and then a bunch of question marks towards the back end of their rotation. You know, at this point, I might, I might even call Kia Stokes a question mark. A question mark is in how does she, how does she make this team better? How does she complement what they have on the floor besides giving them a warm body who has six fouls to give? I, I don't, I, I mean, don't get it, it. It it does seem like 
and I think this is kind of confirmed, but I, I don't have anything in front of me. But it, it seems like, you know, they're bringing in Hammond to be kind of a, a new head coach, forward obviously. Forward-thinking head coach, yeah. Forward-thinking, but it was still kind of Bill Lambier, like, shopping for the groceries, right? You know, he was pretty much in charge of free agency. He was the one that gave Kia Stokes a, a pretty significant deal this offseason, granted for, for just one year. So so they have those seven players. They signed Kalani Brown, Teresa Plaisance, and Sidney Colson to training camp contracts. And then they also, as far as I know, no word on Jisoo Park or Ileana Rupert coming over. Before we get to like, you know, the, the established training camp contracts, we, we can kind of talk in depth of, you know, who those players are and how they might fit. Any opinion on, on Park or Rupert? Okay, first of all, I have not heard anything about Park either, so I really can't add anything. Uh, Rupert, she just uh, had a very solid game over in Euro Cup uh, with Borges Basket, or however you pronounce that, a team over in France. Right now, I think she's still pretty raw as far as, she's what, 20, 21? She's, she's still very, very young. Coming along in her development, but again, she's not, if you look at her right now, I don't think she's a player who you could bring over and still have those answers, those questions answered. Like you have in your notes here, 13 out of 28 on threes in EuroCup. I mean, that's small volume. <laughs> it's higher volume than you see from the rest of these players. But... It's a good percentage, but very low volume. Yeah, so I don't know how much you can, how much you can read into that. Uh, I, again, I think as of now, I think she would just be another young big with a ceiling that she hasn't reached yet, who, I mean, you're not sure if she's going to get minutes or not. I mean, if you look at this, Stephen, we said they didn't add anybody. I mean, that's that's true. But for their training camp contracts, two of their three training camp contracts players they added were bigs, right? So I, I don't know. Rupert, not a player I'm, I'm too familiar with. You know, statistically, there's some things to like. There's some things to not like. You know, 60% shooting on two, that's pretty good. I don't think it, she's going to be someone that you kind of throw it to against good post defenders, at least oh, no, no. At, at this stage in her career. But it certainly looks like she can, you know, put it in the goal against smaller players. But she never, ever gets to the line. You know, 3% of her shooting possessions or something like that in 16 Euro Cup games is not a lot. No. Um, and then Park, I think, you know, some some people are pretty high on her. I, I don't really have a strong opinion about her one way or the other after playing, at what, what does she play, two seasons in, in three years maybe? She hasn't really gotten much of an opportunity to show what she can do in those in those seasons, and there, I mean, there might be a reason for her her low minutes. But yeah, I mean, it's not like it's not like she's like a known quantity where you can say, okay, the Aces need to bring this player over, and here's why. It's like, well, you know, she may be it, a whole lot of theoretical stuff once again. So then we we move on to their training camp contracts. The last Sydney Colson, we can start with her. The last time we saw her in the WNBA, it did not go particularly well. She was not really capable of kind of stewarding an offense as Chicago's backup point guard I think there's a chance this situation works a little bit better she can play off ball offensively alongside one of the aces primary ball handlers whether it be gray or plum you know we know one of them will probably be on the court at least most of the time so Colson is not going to be kind of thrown into that role that that she uh was not really able to to perform uh when she kind of moved over to Chicago for that season She's also going to have some familiarity with some of the players. And as a point guard, I don't think you can discount that. Yeah, that's a great point. She obviously played for Vegas before she moved over to Chicago. You know, I don't think they need Sidney Colson. I, I don't really think that's a a position of need, but none of these players are really a position of need. So, Well, hang on. They they waived Destiny Slocum before the draft. Why? It's a rhetorical question, obviously, but that makes me at least guess that they might want to keep Sidney Colson. I, I, again, I don't know. Like, you already have... 
already haven't done a lot in free agency, so why are you waving a player before the draft? Maybe it'll come out. I don't know why, but... Uh, yeah, certainly a move that probably could have at least waited till after the draft when you know who you're going to get, but yeah. we don't know. They might have just come to the decision or the conclusion that Destiny Slocum can't play at this point. I didn't really see enough of her last season to kind of have an opinion one way or the other, but they obviously know a lot more than, than I do. So, Teresa plays Zantz. Yeah, I guess... You know, in theory, she makes some sense next to Asia Wilson in the regular season. There's just no way she's a playoff player at this point. You know, she can't defend either the four or the five in individual defense or as a team defender. At this point, I'm not even really sure how much of a positive she is as an offensive player. Can Steven, can she play at all? How many times has she been injured over the past few seasons? I mean, she she held up okay just from like a, an availability standpoint last year in Washington, which I think was really important for her career obviously you know it was seeming like she was kind of on the fringes of, of being able to hang around and she made it through last season for the most part okay maybe i'm just thinking of previous seasons when she had that mysterious back injury that like kept her off the court but anyway yeah for, for almost you know two seasons essentially yeah that's um, not great but you know 44 percent effective field goal percentage last year that was in the 36th percentile league wide so just just about you know the bottom third essentially for a player who takes Almost 60% of her shots behind the arc, which... Okay, so this is something I want to throw out there once again. Please. You are not a stretch big if defenses ignore you. If you can't actually hit the shots. If you're not stretching anything. That's that's going to become a, a double-down WNBA uh, staple, I feel like. But just because a big shoots threes does not mean they're, they're, they're doing anything with it, you know? And it seems like it's it's all reputation. Like, she's never really had a season where you can look and and she's combined good volume with good, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hitting it. Like she she hasn't really had that one a hundred plus attempts, thirty eight percent from behind the arc season. It's she was at you know forty percent plus one season on extremely low volume, and and pretty much everything else is like thirty two percent or worse. I think okay, if if Playsons makes a team and she gets rotation minutes, which are two very big ifs, but I'm just throwing this out there. Let's let's watch to see how teams defend her. I, I bet they will let Playson shoot the open three. Yeah, you're still kind of sending that second person to Asia Wilson at the yeah, expense exactly, of the, exactly. the open Teresa Plaisance three. So, And then the last one, Kalani Brown. Did you see any of uh, Athletes Unlimited, Eric? I did not, but I know that she, another player, was, who has worked at getting herself into much better condition uh, than she was in Atlanta. So kudos to her for that. I think I like the signing more than the other two training camp signings. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree. I think there's at least still kind of a theory for how effective... She can be as an offensive player and, you know, a defensive center who kind of knows uh, what, what her role is, sort of playing as like a drop center, defending the rim, uh, using verticality, stuff like that. Was obviously, purportedly, I mean, I guess, because I didn't really see too much of it either, very effective in Athletes Unlimited. If I was reading the website correctly, 75% true shooting, which is uh, a very high number. I thought she did have a somewhat promising rookie season uh, a few years ago in Los Angeles. I don't understand how she opens things up for Asia Wilson, which of course is, you know, the big thing holding her back uh, efficiency-wise and, and the team success, uh, if, if we're to understand correctly. I don't really think, you know, she Kalani Brown ever projects as like a starting level player, but I could see still kind of like a path for this signing to work out pretty well. Yeah, sure. I mean, she, she's got soft hands. She can finish around the rim. She can rebound the basketball. I mean, the basic things, yeah, but... Maybe not, maybe something that other backup bigs on this Aces roster can't currently do. So I think there's still plenty. I mean, she's entering her age 25 season. There's there's still a reason to take a shot on her, sure. And then one other thing I wanted to bring up, you know, we haven't really been talking about this for too many teams, but just in terms of like other possible training camp cuts, 
I think Kylie Shook would be like a great fit next to Asia Wilson. You know, essentially kind of what Teresa Plaisance allegedly does, but also, you know, not a terrible defender. And I don't think Kylie Shook gets cut, but they do have one more high-level big than they had last year. You know, everyone seems to think that they're taking another big in the draft. So maybe Shook does become available. And, you know, her shot is a, a line drive and we've seen kind of pretty low volume still. But like a world where Kylie Shook is taking two-thirds of her shots behind the arc and clearing up some space for Asia Wilson while still allowing her to play the four. I think that could have some promise. Okay. Did not expect you to go to bed for Kylie Shook in this episode. So that's cool. Uh, good stuff. I'm looking at some other names. I'm not sure. Maybe Gentile Lavender, if she doesn't make the team in Seattle. Okay. I could see Gentile Lavender playing, you know, that's no worse than Kia Stokes, probably. That's better than no, no, Teresa no. Plaisance can help you more immediately than Kalani Brown, probably. So I could see that. Um, maybe Lauren Cox, if she gets cut from LA. Washington has way too many bigs listed right now, so maybe one of those. I, like, I don't know if uh, Erica McCall or Stephanie Mavunga would move the needle any in, in Vegas, but uh, those are some names maybe. I don't. I honestly don't know what else. Natasha Mack, maybe. I was pretty intrigued by the Lauren Cox one. I mean, you okay. know, the, the spacing has not come around as some folks were hoping pre-draft, but uh, again. I think there's a semblance of skill there, like basketball skill there, that isn't there with these other training camp options. I don't know. Yeah, again, still probably like a better option than Teresa Plaisance or, or what have you. So what about their draft picks? They have the number 11 pick and then the number 23 pick. Are there any players that jump out to you in terms of kind of shaping out this roster? Actually, I'll, I'll start here. So Ray Burrell, I think a wing who I think could be better maybe in a lower usage role in the pros than she had in college. And, you know, her junior season, statistically, obviously a lot more impressive than her senior season. But, you know, a role where she's kind of spacing the floor a little bit, attacking closeouts, has some defensive tools. I know you had Ray Burrell going 11th in your recent SB Nation mock draft, so uh, I, I sure did. you feel okay about that fit. If Kristen Williams is there, you know, probably not a perfect fit, but a little bit of a, you know, I see her kind of more of, of a two than a three. W- would you agree with that or would you disagree? Do you think she can? No, I think she's more of a two than a three, but I don't think it would be a bad pick. If, if you're picking at 11 in this draft... You know, the problem is... For just get Aces someone who team, can play. <laughs> yeah, just get somebody who can play, yeah. I, I mean, the problem for the Aces in this in this aspect is, look at their roster once again. You have nobody behind Jackie Young. So I, I think unless you really, really, really love a big or a point guard at number 11, and maybe they do, I think you just need to pick a wing. Yeah, maybe that's true. Now, I they mean, do have another draft pick. They have, they have their three guards, and they have their, you know, one true small forward in Jackie Young. I mean, that's only, that's, you know, four players for three spots. That's some heavy minutes uh, to go around. Yeah, and I guess I guess that's a good point when you brought up um, Camp Quest. They could, they could just go dumpster diving, which I'm assuming they will do because free agency is over. So, um, but yeah, continue. Well, I was going to bring up uh, Maya Hollingshed, who I, I know is not really projected to go this high in the draft, but I think her player profile would be a great fit next to Asia Wilson, a real stretch for who can open things up. I would not have been surprised if you had Hollingshed going there in your mock because that's a fit that I'm pretty intrigued by. I mean, statistically, you know, she did only have two plus three-point shooting seasons in her five-year college career, and her two-point scoring was, like, way down this season. Her free-throw shooting is, like, solid but not amazing when you're talking about translating the shot. But, you know, 34% in total over her five seasons behind the arc. So if you believe in Hollingshed... You know, and if the Aces believe in Hollingshed, I could see this pick making some sense, either at 11 or 23, I guess. Okay. I'm not sure if she'll be around at 23, but at 11, mm, I like Hollingshed a lot. 
as a stretch four type of player. I think there are some things she needs to work on at the to be good at the pro level, particularly like that two point percentage, as you mentioned, just not good at all. Um, I think she's pretty slight for a player. I think she can kind of get bullied in the paint and at the rim. Um, she's not gonna be able to play the five, which is unfortunate because um, you think about stretch stretch bigs, you want them to be able to at least play the, to theoretically play the five to maximize their effectiveness. I don't think I don't think Howling Shed is a, a pro level five, but as you said, um, she's got a really good looking jump shot from outside. And I think Colorado made a concerted effort to really kind of stretch out her game more often this this past season. Hopefully, you know, I mean, she came back to, she used her COVID year, her COVID year of eligibility to return to school. And they definitely used her in a different way than they did previously. So maybe the Colorado coaching staff said, okay, we know you're going pro after this. We need, we, we know you need to work on this to become a WNBA caliber player. That's my hope. But when you talk about the volume, yeah, still not great. Um, the percentage, not as high as you would hope. I like Hollingshed. Again, I think it might be a reach at 11, but uh, if it's anything like last year's draft, who knows? And anyone else at 11 or uh, anyone at 23 that you think might be good for this team? I mean, Burrell at 11, I think I think would be my, my go-to. Um, at 23, at, at 11, I could also see Destiny Henderson. Um, I think she'll be gone by 11. But uh, listen, I really like Henderson's game translating. She's maybe not as good of a point guard as people think she is in terms of just making the right decision with the ball, getting sped up too quickly. But I think she's a better off-ball player. Yeah, and I was going to say, this is a team where you have two primary ball handlers who you probably don't want guarding point guards. Well, what what were you saying about Chelsea Gray previously? Yeah, she's essentially a wing. And I think even Plum, you probably want guarding twos a little bit more than you want guarding the point of attack. Right. Henderson can definitely guard the point of attack. And she she can... create some havoc out there and, and get some steals. And then off the ball, she's a terrific spot-up shooter. You know, I think um, on that South Carolina team, you know, you don't really get a heck of a lot of spot-up shooting on offense. But that is one thing I think whoever drafts Henderson is going to really, really like about her. Um, so well, I like one thing that. I, I just kind of want to say about Henderson, like I think there would be a better chance of her going to Vegas if Becky Hammond had already been like fully acclimated into this role. But if, if you're just like kind of believing that Bill Lambier is still making roster decisions, which, which may be... Uh, he's not at this point, but at this point, yeah, you know, Henderson is just doesn't really is a little bit smaller than kind of the the physical profile that Lambier is kind of That's looking true. for from a guard. That's very true. He doesn't like small guards, but he might be out of the picture by now. We don't we don't know. That's the problem, you know, when there's there's an overhaul in, in coaching staffs or front offices and or you know both really, you don't really know who's doing what. Um, and transitioning and course, to consulting positions yeah and, you know, consulting positions like what does that mean exactly so that's that's another thing to keep an eye on i think this season for the aces but um yeah i like henderson i like burrell at 23 i had um i had them taking olivia nelson adota from uconn and she gets kind of a, a bad rap for being just not a very good offensive player but one thing she can do is pass the ball and that's what makes this interesting to me uh you you think of ways to maybe quote unquote unlock or maximize asia wilson Nelson Adota is not going to space the floor behind the three-point line, but she's really good at, at throwing lobs or and, you know just making the right decision with the ball. UConn likes to run that that Princeton or Chen offense where they have Nelson Adota at the top and making passes to cutters and stuff like that. You talk about Asia Wilson's effectiveness moving without the ball or cutting. It's not going to be the same sort of thing as with Cambage, but Nelson Adota can make plays uh, with the basketball at the top of the key. So that's I, I like that about her. I like Kayla Pointer from LSU for them. I think she'll be gone by then, but if she's not... That's another point guard target. Jordan Lewis from Baylor, along the same lines, point guard. I know you really like Kiana Smith from Louisville. I think she'll be gone as well, but if she's still there, I think that'd be a home run pick because she's kind of a two-way wing who doesn't really doesn't really need high volume to be good. 
Um, and and wouldn't really have to do too much off the bounce in this. Yeah, team. exactly, exactly. You know, she's not she's not a terrific athlete, but she can attack a closeout. She can move without the ball. She can shoot the corner, corner three. She's got the size theoretically to defend at the WNBA level. So I think that'd be an awesome pick. But again, I think Kiana will be gone. So realistically, Nelson Adota or Jordan Lewis would be my two go tos. But uh, we'll see how it plays out. All right, strengths and weaknesses. Uh, I think this is much more up in the air than some of the other teams that we've done so far because we just don't know how this team is going to play but in terms of strength 40 minutes of good point guard play you know they have gray they have plum i imagine those one of those two players are going to be on the court at all times just like last year i mean this team is still pretty stacked with good defenders good point of attack defenders when you think about you know raquana williams good big defenders and hamby and, and wilson you know i think chelsea gray as much as her offensive game is is turning into uh, a little bit of a shell of itself. You know, she's still a pretty solid defensive player and multi-positional defensive player. Getting good shot creation pretty much all the time between the two point guards. They have Asia, you know, Jackie Young can just kind of create her own offense and in, in what she does. What what else you got here? Well, transition play. Unless that's going to go out the window without Lambeer on the coaching staff anymore. I don't I don't think it will because like they're so good at it. Why would you just that their players that fit it so well. Yeah, they take particularly their, their bigs. You know, Hamby and and Wilson in particular, they're going to beat any other any other uh, front court combination down the court every time. So, I don't yeah, think... Hamby I mentioned last week was the number one big in the league in terms of total transition possessions last season. Twenty four percent. I just said total uh, transition possessions, but uh, just as a proportion, twenty four percent of her total possessions came in transition. Just a staggering number. Weaknesses. I guess one other strength I would want to say is um, passing. You know, they have, they're going to play with two guard, like two point guards a lot of the time. I think Asia has developed as a passer for sure over the last couple of years. Like last season in, in particular, I thought was a really strong passing season. For the role that Jackie Young is, kind of that play finisher, she's still giving you sure, sure, pretty sure. decent passing. So I think this team should still be able to pass the ball pretty well. Weaknesses, this team is really thin at the wing. You know, they, they have uh, 13 players vying for this, or I guess 12 players now that Slocum is gone. But, you know, seven of them are bigs. Two of them are point guards. They have two wings on the roster, essentially, in Raquana Williams and Jackie Young. I mean, I would consider Chelsea Gray a wing because she defends wings and she's guarded by wings. But, you know, they, they don't have a lot of real... I mean, whether you consider her a point guard or a wing, uh, like we were saying, they have four players to fill 40 minutes at three slots. So that is yeah. not a lot. No, definitely not a lot. It, I just can't go, I, I just can't help but go back to that off season again. Like why, why do they not add anybody in any, I don't want to say they didn't add anybody, but you know, you know where I'm going with this. It, I mean, I'm it. guessing they didn't add anybody because next after this season, they have Asia Wilson under contract and Raquana Williams on an unprotected deal. So I'm guessing anyone that they brought in was going to be multi-year deal, and, and they okay, kind of want to keep point. their books open. Other weaknesses, you know, aside from from overall depth, you know, especially for coming playoff time, you know, they have they have five playoff players, as I was saying before. I think that's going to be a concern for me. But defending post scores, losing Cambage, who was in the 96th percentile defensively guarding the post, Asia Wilson was in the 16th percentile defending post ups. Stokes was better in her time in Vegas, but really struggled early in the season with New York. You know, Hamby sliding to defend more starters uh, rather than kind of bench players. We might see some dip there. Anything else that, that you wanted to know? I have just a couple more. No, keep going. Uh, well, their shot profile, you know, maybe this this changes with, um, 
you know, a new coaching staff, but you know, the, the players that they have are still the players. Chelsea Gray still wants to take a ton of non-paint twos. Asia Wilson still wants to take a lot of non-paint twos. Jackie Young still wants to take a lot of non-paint twos. I mean, they pretty much last year at least played offense. Like they were being guarded by the aces, right? Like uh, they, they just took a ton of shots outside of, you know, 18 feet essentially. And they're, you know, those, those players are, are just kind of seeking out those shots. Uh, and I know they shot a, a pretty decent percentage last season from three, but you know, you just kind of look at the roster and they have three, three point shooters on their, on this team, Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum and Raquana Williams are really the only players that you think can hit a three really on this team at this point. So basically the volume for those three players is going to need to be cranked up a lot. Yeah. And even still, like, I think, you know, your spacing can really be hindered when, you know, Dierica Hamby will stand out there a little bit, but are you, you talk about this all the time. Like, are you going to keep that second defender on Asia Wilson or are you going to close out hard to Dierica Hamby? Yeah. I'm guarding Wilson. So what are like the big questions we kind of want answered for this team? Cause I think we, we probably do still have a little bit less of a feel for them than some of the teams we've covered already. Okay. Beyond the obvious of, uh, beyond the obvious coaching questions that I think we can finish off with. Um, I think we need to talk about Jackie Young for a second because she's a very unique player in her archetype and they unique invest doesn't a lot need in a qualifier. <laughs> right. Cause this is a player who they've invested a lot in also needs to get paid at the end of the season. And Mixed results, honestly. I mean, as an individual player, yeah, she's gotten a lot better. That's obvious. But you talk about how many playoff players they have, three straight seasons now in which she has basically been played off the floor. What is her role on this team? What is her future with this team? Well, what should her role on this team be? Playmaking wing. I I don't think she's a point guard. Um, They tried that her rookie season. Didn't really work. I mean, she put up decent metrics, but again... Got played off the floor. Uh, do you think they but, should try that again? But you know, again? like, what if, what if Jackie Young had the ball in her hand as much as she did her rookie season, but could finish at the rim as well as she can now? Yeah, that that's what I was. That's kind of what I was going to get to. Like, she's improved a ton in that area that we expected her to prove in. Uh, improve in. Um, Credit to you us, have some of synergy stats for this, right? Well, you have some synergy stats for this. You pulled this, I think. Oh, last year she finished seventy point six percent. She she was she was shooting. 70.6% around the basket. That's the 98th percentile. That's the Jackie Young I watch in Notre Dame. You know, I mean, just a total tank in the paint, going to the basket, just shrugs off the defense. Um, I mean, that, that's kind of what we, we expected, right, Steven? You know, just a, a player who was used to uh, out-muscling everybody, needed to get used to the pro game. And, I mean, yeah, in that respect, she has gotten used to the pro game. But... And, and even when she doesn't get all the way to the rim, you know, only 13% of her shots in the restricted area, but she's still getting separation from that kind of short, mid-range, floater range type, you know, getting her shoulder into somebody and stopping on a dime. She's like, a good athlete. She's one of the best in the league at sort of creating that separation in that that short floater range area. She's just too big for a lot of, uh, of perimeter defenders to handle. And it's 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 I guess it's been about... The adjustment for her has been how do you leverage that in the WNBA game? And last year, I think you saw a tremendous improvement to that. Like her stats, like her, her basic stats didn't really bear it out, but I wouldn't have been that upset if Jackie Young was one most improved player last season because there were areas in which she clearly improved. The other thing is like that, it was kind of clear that Bill Lambier kind of punted on using her as a playmaker. Her assists per 36 have dropped from 7.2 her rookie season 
when, as you were kind of talking about, she was essentially playing point guard for that team to 3.6 in 2021. So that, that figure cut in half per 36 minutes, which, you know, 3.6 is still not terrible for kind of the role of play finishing wing on a really good team, running some second side pick and rolls, attacking handoffs, getting to her spot from kind of long two from floater range, attacking, you know, closeouts or I guess non-closeouts in this case, you know, just kind of attacking hard, taking two, three dribbles and, and pulling up to her spot. Or if it's a crowded area, you know, getting it to somebody with a better look. So I think, I don't know how meaningfully different Jackie Young's role within the offense should be than what we saw last year. Okay. Cause her role has changed over the years, but it's interesting. Like the splits between pick and roll ball handler and handoffs have been roughly the same. Like she's been the majority of her half court. Well, no, I shouldn't say the majority of, but her, her most used, her most um, frequent play possession in the half court has been pick and roll ball handler previous three seasons, although it has steadily declined. But I do think been- that's the distinction, but from being the one that initiates the offense and like getting the pass on the weak side and then kind of attacking off of a okay. screen, you know what I mean? Okay. Maybe I'm off by that, but that's kind of like my intuition sort of, uh, you know, just watching their games. I mean, that would make sense. That would make sense. I think as to, for Jackie to succeed as a pick and roll ball handler, the floor needs to be spaced better, but maybe that's, uh, that's just, could just be a shot in the dark. Um, I would like to see her run them, run more handoffs for her because when you get her going downhill, that's when she's really able to use that, that big body and, and just put defenders in the, in the weight room, as you like to say. One thing I also noticed about her, her synergy stats is that her transition frequency dropped a lot. As a rookie, she got 29% of her point or possessions in transition. That went down to 19.8% and then 14.7% last season. Why is she not getting out in transition more? Maybe a rhetorical question. Yeah, but. that's a great point. So much of the rest of this team, I guess, gets out in transition so much. You know, Maybe she's kind of that first pass to, to sort of lead the break, but I don't know. That, that, that that's be. definitely something to kind of dig into a, a little bit more. I mean, if I'm looking at a player who is... I don't want to say ineffective in the half court, but has a very specific situation in the half court in which she can excel. I'm looking to get her running more. You know, I mean, like I said, Jackie Young does have the, have the athleticism. That is this team's identity offensively is push the ball like crazy. So we'll see what happens again with this new coaching staff. Yeah. Another big question for me, like how does Becky Hammond want to get offense for Asia Wilson? Is she working mostly from the low post? Is she dumping it down to the low block and t- telling her to face up? Are they getting her more involved in pick and rolls with this, these two great point guards? Like, is Asia going to start shooting threes? Again, like, when you shoot 26% on non-paint twos, like, maybe you don't want to shoot from three or four feet further away. But, you know, if she's standing out there, I guess that that could be a good thing for the offense. And, you know, she shot 36% in 2020 on non-paint twos. So if you're shooting 36% from three, I guess that's that's pretty good. But, you know, what what is kind of off, you know, is, is it traditional dump downs, which I think as you were saying, is is not maybe the strongest element of Asia Wilson's game. I, I don't see how that benefits anybody, really. Particularly, I mean, you, you did mention that she's made strides as a passer, but one of the things about posting up is if you have a, a player like Brittany Griner, who, of course, there is only one Brittany Griner, but if your post-ups are so effective, then you can get a lot of offense from, from cutting and, and, double, and passing out of double teams and stuff like that. I don't think that's, that's going to happen. And I do think more of her strides as a passer have come kind of, you know, from the elbow, facing the basket more so than Mm -hmm. back to the basket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is their defensive philosophy, I guess, like, in in kind of like 
the bigger picture, like what are they kind of hanging on to from the Bill Lambier days and, and sort of what looks different? Are they still absolutely packing the paint? Are they still daring teams to kind of fire away from three? Is there two bigs uh, sagging at all times? What do they value defensively? And that's something I think you can identify pretty darn early in the season, right? So another thing to look for. Yeah, especially against good teams, you know, the first time they, they play another real contender. How about um, the first time they play Washington? Well, depending on who's available, yeah. Well, yeah, depending. Okay, so if everyone is available for Washington. Yeah, um, I, I was thinking maybe Seattle or something like that, or even Connecticut. Okay. You know, because Connecticut is the one where I'm thinking of, like, you have John Quill Jones at the four, and Asia Wilson is still kind of at the nail, not really okay. defending th- the three-point line. Okay, I see. Okay. Any other big questions? I think that was kind of the big ones that I wanted to hit. Uh, am I stealing yours if I, if I say, I mean, you already mentioned this. Um, what are they doing next offseason? Because not a heck of a lot of players under contract here. Yeah, you would think that, you know, between how open everything is after this season and the kind of radio silence they had in free agency, they they probably have some some ideas. They probably have some things circled, but... So knows? does everyone else. Yeah, that, that, that is true. What do you kind of see as like, what are the high-end outcomes for this team and then what are the low-end outcomes for this team? I'm not sure if this is a championship caliber team anymore. And that's, again, that's not me being a hater. I just think you kind of... You kind of went against this, and I kind of agree, but I think there are just... Heading into last season, I think we were, we both agreed that this is the best team in the league, right? Heading into this season, I don't think either of us would say this is the best team in the league. So that that alone is enough to say, hmm, maybe not. Because, you know, we're, we're experts that get this right a thousand percent of the time, obviously. Um, I, I think they just seem like a second-tier team, you know? And that's no disrespect. Um, but looking at the looking at the field, I think other teams got better, and they just didn't. Best case scenario, maybe still a championship, but I wouldn't bet on it. Worst case scenario, I don't know, fourth, fifth seed. I mean, their their high level players are still really good, though. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat. I think I might believe in their championship upside just a little bit more. Like I, I think if everything goes right, you know, maybe maybe this is a team that wins the title. But I mean, again, they just have so few players that you really can kind of feel good about in uh you know a five game series against really great coaching and i think i agree with you on the downside you know i can't possibly see this team being lower than a five seed but you know they were the the number two seed overall last year uh and i i don't think it's unrealistic to kind of expect them even with a new head coach supplanting a very successful head coach to take a, a little bit of a step back yeah i mean becky hammond she's got uh Big shoes to fill, if you want to put it that way. The the bar for success is already pretty high for this team. Let's put it that way. Okay. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, which we would very much appreciate if you did, you can follow, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at Nimchuk. Um, This will be coming out on draft day. And if you want to uh, catch a little draft reading, don't forget to read Eric's mock draft on SB Nation. Uh, you can follow myself on Twitter at Trinkwald, and we might be back after the draft with some draft content. Otherwise, we'll be back for some team outlooks uh, whenever we can. <laughs> we'll see you when we see you. Take care, everybody.